Welcome to the Mama Needs a Moment podcast. We're your hosts, Chrissy and Cindy, co-founders of Her Health Collective. We are two moms obsessed with revolutionizing the way moms take care of themselves. We are so glad you're here. Let's dive in. Dr. Kaylee has been involved in special education for over 30 years. Her experiences broaden scope ranging from aiding in the development of one of the initial early intervention programs in Tennessee to working in drug and alcohol rehab, the juvenile prison system, resource classrooms, post-secondary sheltered workshops, and consulting for homeschool groups who enrolled students with special needs. She also taught for five years in a lower elementary Montessori classroom. She has presented professional development workshops on topics in Montessori and special education, both nationally and internationally. Dr. Kaylee has also worked with state and local governments in special education policy and procedural alignment. Her current research focus is primarily on peer-assisted learning in inclusion classrooms and over-identification of minorities in special education. Today, you will hear part one of our conversation with Dr. Kaylee, where we dive into the Montessori method, what it is, its benefits, which students the method is helpful for, and which students it may not be helpful for. We also hear Dr. Kaylee's tips for how to navigate the school system if you have a neurodivergent child. Trust us, you will want to know the top three people in the school building she suggests befriending. We are so excited to see you again. Was it, was it a year ago that we met? I I think so. I think it's been about a year and lots of changes have happened since then. Well, we are just honored to have you on Mama Needs a Moment and to dive into a conversation and learn from you. You are a fascinating woman. We are going to go into a two-minute intro. Who are you? What do you do? Uh, What are your current struggles as a mom? Just, it's really a good way to get at what's really important to you because you only have two minutes. So. Okay. I can do that. Set the timer and say, (laughs) go. (laughs) Okay. I'm a mother of four and a Nana to one granddaughter. I'm an educator, a researcher, and an activist for those who are neurodivergent and differently abled. I'm someone who's always been aware of social justice issues from a very young age. And I've always asked really hard questions. I'm a why girl. And I never understood why there couldn't be equity surrounding race, ethnicity, ability levels, socioeconomic status. Why I do what I do is I didn't have an ideal home life growing up and school was my safe place. So it was my refuge. And my teachers were examples, for the most part, of um, how people should act and be around children. And because they were there for me and was were that example for me, I wanted to be that for other people. So my current struggles as a mom, I have three children who are in their 30s. Youngest is 14. And with the older ones, my struggles are how do you have relationships? You know, you're no longer the parent. How do you navigate that? That's that's always tricky. How to support a teen girl um, and all the complexities that that entails. And from my first teen girl, 
you know, who now is going to be 35. And then my youngest, and then my one in my middle who just turned 30. There are three different people um, and three different ways of being in the world, as well as three different points in time, right? So, so that's, that's tricky and fun as well. Oh my gosh. Yes. You have such a wide mix of ages and I feel like you're in the thick of it with so many, I mean, and I'm thinking back to when they were younger too, like you were living through all of it (laughs) all all at once. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty impressed. I'm impressed with how you took your very interesting years and you condensed it to two minutes. (laughs) Yeah, that was impressive. (laughs) Uh, It was not off the cuff. I spent yesterday preparing. Well, we could tell that was fantastic. Thank you for doing that. Um, I'm going to take you into a a more, you can't prepare for this one. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) We're going to roll the dice or basically choose a a number between, I'm going to say one through 30 because I can easily grab one. Oh goodness. Let's try 18. 18. All right. What TV shows are you watching right now? That is so easy. (laughs) (laughs) It is easy. Um, The two TV shows that I'm watching right now One is Gilmore Girls, um, and I'm doing that with my 14-year-old, where one of my friends suggested uh, that we watch that during the pandemic, because she's like, I hadn't heard of the show, um, to be quite honest, and um, she was like, you and your daughter are like the Gilmore Girls, and she has been a friend since high school. So the more I got into the show, I was like, yeah, there, there are a lot of parallels there. So um, we're re-watching it. And then the other show that I'm watching, on the advice of the same friend, <laughs> is The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And I've, been I've heard amazing that. things. Uh, yeah, it I is started, amazing. Yeah. I started watching that one and I haven't made it in very far. I think it might be in season two, but um, ah. very interesting. And so I can see just from our interaction right now that you are very witty, like the Gilmore girls, like their banter (laughs) back and forth is so zippy. Isn't it? It's like, how do they think of these things so fast and say these lines so fast? I almost wanted to interject before you could say anything, Cindy. And I wanted to be like, I bet I know what Cindy wants to say about the Gilmore girls. I want to kind of take us in the direction of something that I have been very interested in, never really implemented in our our home. I've tried little things here and there, but I've seen friends do it. And I've always kind of looked on in awe and I've seen friends go to these particular schools, but they are a little cost prohibitive for a lot of families. So specifically I'm talking about the Montessori method and you taught the Montessori method. I believe it was for five years. Is that correct? That's correct. Okay. So for those that don't know, and I feel like most parents probably have a relatively decent idea, but can you just briefly summarize what the Montessori method entails, particularly in a classroom setting? The Montessori method is a method of education that was founded by first woman Italian physician, and her name was Maria Montessori. She based her method of education on 
a lot of observation of children. And out of that, she advocated that education should be centered on the whole child, self-directed using hands-on methods with real objects and not worksheets, and focuses on collaborative learning. And keep in mind that Maria Montessori was educated in Europe as a woman in the late 19th century. And wow. that was not how children were educated. Yeah. And so this method has grown and evolved. And now, you know, it was brought to the United States. So in a classroom, what is amazing about the Montessori method is children have freedom to choose what learning activities they do and the order that they do them. They're given a choice and there's a broad variety of activities. So if you walked into a Montessori classroom, you would see some students working on math, some students working on language arts, some on science, some on social studies, some reading, some um, nowadays working maybe on a computer or just having a snack because you can have a snack whenever you want to. You can get up and go to the bathroom. Um, a lot of poorly run Montessori style schools are like free-for-alls, but that is not the Montessori method. It's freedom within limits. A teacher is called a guide and they meet with every student in their classroom every day to they keep up with them individually and say, okay, these are the things you need to work on. Which ones do you want to do? You could do this or this, and you can do it in this order. And the child decides, even, even from three to six years old, they decide what they're going to do. Wow. And that's very powerful. Um, yeah. One of the nice things, I haven't had the time to delve into it very far, but there are um, Montessori classrooms within the public schools here in North Carolina. So the cost pro prohibitiveness have been taken out. I would like to visit those classrooms and see what they look like. I was fortunate enough to have my oldest and my youngest attend Montessori. The other part that is different is children don't sit at desks or tables and just work there all day. They can be on the floor, they can be standing, they can be in groups, they can work by themselves. It's very, very fluid. And it allows, you know, children who like to make sense of their world and feel like they have autonomy, um, a lot of autonomy and learn those decision making skills, which are so vital for us as adults, right? Absolutely. And, and I feel like children have such little amount of autonomy in their lives that there's a lot of beauty to this method. And a lot of what you said, um, and I love that you mentioned that it can be in public schools. I, I can see certain components being brought into, for example, my daughter's pre-K classroom, which I so appreciate right. because she was in a different school previously and I didn't see it as much. I see a huge difference in the autonomy and the stations and um, that choice that's available. So I, I think there's a lot of beauty there. And even if parents just learn a little bit about it and take chunks of it, I think there's a lot of value to that. 
Mm-hmm. One of one of the big things about Montessori is teaching children practical life skills, which a lot of parents, you know, we feel like we're too pressured and we don't have time and it's easier for us to do it ourselves, but they're taught, you know, how to slice a banana and present it beautifully, how to make a sandwich, how to, how to tie their shoes, how to hang up their coat, how to dust a shelf, how to fold laundry. You know, all of those life skills are, are taught and provide that sense of, I don't like using the word pride, but there is some pride in, in a child being able to say, look, look how I've done this task. And I did it beautifully. I was trained to do it. And look, I can do it efficiently. And here's something I can do. Because they want to be adults, right? <laughs> Until they get Absolutely. to be adults. And then they don't want to be adults. Anymore. Ready to go back. Can I go back, right? please? <laughs> Yeah, um, you've already kind of touched on the the benefits. I mean, you talk about pride, you talk about autonomy, having that choice, getting to learn adult skills at a, at a young age. Are there any other benefits that you would add to that list that you've personally seen for students in a Montessori setting? I think also there there's greater conflict resolution abilities Mm. because there is an area in every Montessori classroom called a peace area and children can learn emotional regulation because they're taught if you're frustrated if you're having a hard time here's a safe space for you to go nobody's going to ask you any questions initially um But someone, you know, a teacher guide or an assistant is going to come over and say, hey, how how are you feeling? How can we best support you? And if there is a conflict in a classroom, which there always is, the there's that space that they know. And there's a procedure for resolving conflicts, which are valuable tools for children to learn. So what I just heard you saying is that I, Chrissy, need a peace corner. in my life. <laughs> don't we, don't, don't um, we all, but we, we create them as adults for ourselves, right? For sure. mommies, it's usually bathroom, door shut, locked, right? The pantry. <laughs> the pantry. Yeah, that's another one. Um, the garage. I have used the garage or sitting in my car or, you know, sure. there's, there's all of those, but to, you know, teaching children, yes, to remove themselves. And it's okay to do that. And it's okay to have a hard conversation and state how you feel and have someone respect that. In the movie, Yours, Mine, and Ours, the female lead character had a talking stick and her kids passed it <laughs> I remember around. that, yeah. Okay, yeah. That's, that's a Montessori type thing that there's a talking stick and it goes back and forth in the peace area. And they learn that, okay, I'm not going to talk over someone, I'm going to let them talk. But I then get the stick and I can talk. So it's kind of a visible reminder of, of how this conflict resolution process works. Yeah, absolutely. That's amazing. You obviously do a lot of work with neurodivergent learners. I would love to know if you've seen the Montessori method offer any benefits specifically for those neurodivergent learners. Yes. (laughs) And no, it depends on the type of learner. I had parents not disclose to me that their child had neurodivergence or behavior issues relating to that. 
and it was not effective for them. A child needs to be prepared if they're really, really not able to have some kind of control over their emotions or their physical bodies, then that wouldn't be a good place to start. Maybe later, yes. But for students who are on the autism spectrum and who are higher functioning, okay, because there are some students with autism who are nonverbal, you know, who cannot communicate in the environment, that would not be a good fit for them because communication is vital. But for students on the autism spectrum who like order, who like precision, who like routine, it's a very good space for them because there is, even though there's this freedom, everything is pretty routine. Every lesson is routine and it's very calming and it's very minimalist. There's not tons of posters and bulletin boards. There's none of that. There's beautiful pieces of art. There's lots of white space. There's pillows. So it is very calming. Now with children who have learning disabilities, it's a wonderful thing because also that thinking outside the box and different ways to learn things is present in Montessori. I personally am not good at math, at algebra, those kinds of higher mathematical concepts were very difficult for me. i dyslexic with numbers. So going into Montessori and learning how to teach Montessori, I understood algebra for the first time because Montessori majored in math, but she was able to make mathematics visible. So we think of two squared. That is actually a square. She made four beads and put them, attached them together, and it's a square. So you can show a child two squared is, is four, and they see, oh my goodness, yeah, it's four. I can see that. Being able to see what a squared plus b squared plus c squared, what it looks like, that can be very powerful for students who have learning disabilities and they can start to overcome some of those things. Sandpaper letters, perfect for people who have dyslexia or who have struggles getting what sounds and letters look like. So there's so many different avenues to teach a concept that it's, it's perfect for many, many students who struggle. Something that I love about the, I'm going to refer to them as alternate methods of education because they're outside of the quote unquote public school system curriculum. But something that I really adore about it is that it makes the curriculum shape to the child versus the child shape to the curriculum, which is what I found, um, and this is taking me into my next question. I love when you said earlier that you are a neurodivergent advocate because I, I'm also neurodivergent. I have children. I've tried to navigate the school system with neurodivergent children, and it, it is extremely overwhelming. So speaking from firsthand knowledge, it's, it's crazy to go in and try to get what you need for your child. Guess what? Everyone has a spine and nervous system and can benefit from chiropractic care. 
Anytime there is stress on your nervous system, your body may not function properly. Many people are unaware that children can benefit from chiropractic care. They assume that seeing a chiropractor is just something you do when you're an adult dealing with a bad back, stiff joints, or poor posture. True story, that was me for the longest time. For example, as a newborn, you might struggle to latch or breastfeed. As a toddler, you might experience digestive issues that threaten proper nourishment. As a teen, poor posture, heavy backpacks, contact sports, and normal growing pains can lead to your child experiencing headaches, scoliosis, PMS, back pain, and ADD, ADHD. I definitely wish I had known about chiropractic care when I was a teen. Additionally, as a pregnant woman, you might have persistent lower back pain, which chiropractic care can be a huge help for. Believe it or not, these issues are all related to your nervous system and they can all improve with chiropractic care. Chiropractic care aims to improve the function of your spine and nervous system so that your body can function at its best. Don't wait for the pain. Contrary to popular belief, you don't have to be in pain to seek out chiropractic care. In fact, pain is typically the last symptom that is expressed when the spine isn't in proper alignment. Think of chiropractic care as a healthy lifestyle habit. The same way you brush your teeth to prevent cavities, you should go for regular chiropractic adjustments to promote better spine and nervous system health. I've never thought of it that way. Davis Family Chiropractic serves families in the Raleigh area. They want to help you discover the root cause of your problem, address it, and give your body the best tools it needs to heal. Davis Family Chiropractic focuses on prenatal and pediatric chiropractic care, and their doctors are both certified in the Webster technique, which can be helpful throughout pregnancy or simply as an intervention if a baby is breached. Prenatal chiropractic care helps to keep mom comfortable during pregnancy and helps to get your baby in the best possible position for birth. Davis Family Chiropractic sees kids of all ages, from birth through teenagers to make sure that your child is developing properly and adapting to life. Visit Davis Family Chiropractic at daviscaironc.com and on social media at daviscaironc. Improve your family's health before it becomes an issue. What steps can a parent take to prepare their child for the school that they're going to the school year that's ahead of them, regardless of whether they're going into Montessori, Waldorf, or going into the public school system, magnet, et cetera. A lot of children have trepidation of what is the school going to be like? What's my teacher going to be like? We've moved a lot. Our family has. And so I've always arranged before school started to go to the school, have a tour and you know, if my child's teacher is, was there, um, we would meet them either that day, or I would go and we would meet a few minutes, especially, you know, children who have special learning needs. It's important that they know where's the bathroom, where's, where's the lunch room, where do I go to the counselor? What happens if I'm sick? Answering all of those questions for your child before the school starts or asking them too, you know, what questions do you have? What concerns do you have? And even the tiniest ones can can pretty well articulate a few things that they're concerned about. I know we always read the book the night before kindergarten, before they started kindergarten, because that that was fun. It was fun ritual and had a bedtime snack and 
you know, my daughter just read it to my granddaughter who started kindergarten this year. Those are those are things that you can do if your child has already been identified as having an IEP or a 504 or family service plan. If you're coming from preschool, you know, making sure the school has a copy of that and, you know, that you meet the case manager and you, they know that you know, hey, my child is supposed to be getting 30 minutes of speech therapy. How can I connect with the speech therapist or the OT or the PT? Or, hey, my child needs access to counseling while at school. Who's the school counselor? The more you know and the more people you meet, that is the best thing. I tell this to my teachers, the three best friends you need to make as a new teacher are the school secretary, the school custodian, and the librarian. If you talk to those three people and you treat them like gold, your life will be very, very smooth. And so for parents, if you can talk to the school secretary and let her know about your child and what their needs could be, and how best to reach you, and what stumbling blocks they might run into, that helps immensely. Go to back to school night. I can't tell you how many years I sat at back to school night and saw no one as a special educator. None of my students' parents came. Oh, dear. Okay. So come and say hello and find out because you're a team. You've got to work together. Well, Kaylee, I'd like to ask you, as a parent, how can a a parent best support their student as they start to navigate IEPs, 504s, requests for separate settings, etc.? This was a nightmare for us. For your student, you've got to sit down as a team. And if nobody's willing to do that, that's not okay. At least sitting down with the case manager I know I walked into horror stories, but having your child to be aware as well. I had a situation in my last couple of years of teaching that my students were not getting their speech therapy. And for Mm. whatever reason, the school district or whatever were dragging their heels so I, I was like, this kid can't progress because mm-hmm. they're not getting the services that they need. And that's not okay. But again, if the parent were advocating, I think things would have happened faster. But the, the teachers are kind of, their hands are tied somewhat. I mean, they can do what they can do. But to help your student is have them be aware, even from mm-hmm. early on hey, you're supposed to be getting speech therapy. Your case manager says it's on Tuesday. You can ask them, hey, did you get speech therapy today? Did you meet with your therapist? What did you go over? And also know that they can't, the speech therapist and the case manager and your child's resource teachers, they can't do it by themselves. There has to be parental involvement But as I'm mentoring these teachers that I'm working with at the university, some of them have caseloads of 40 kids, which is astonishing to me. 
And so they're spread super thin, gently and kindly saying, hey, what can I do to support at home? It's got to be an effort. And if your child is aware of their goals, like, hey, your goal is to read 100 sight words this year, you know, and get involved with that. And if everybody is working on the same goal, it'll be accomplished. But if I, as a special ed teacher, only saw your child for 20 minutes a day, and I had, you know, 20 kids in my resource room, just like a regular classroom, I can work on the goal and in individually and in a group, but I, I can't accomplish miracles. We've got to learn, and this is, I taught a course this fall on collaboration to open up my parent, my students' eyes. You've got to involve the parents. You've got to talk to these parents. You've got to work together because everybody wants this student to succeed. And yes, parents are overwhelmed. Teachers are overwhelmed, but we've got to focus. It's this, this little life that we need to have them obtain the best skills that they possibly can. Have your child attend IEP meetings. Once they get to be sixth grade, they should be giving input. And also before then, what kind of modifications to their work work for them? What accommodations do they feel like they need that will help them learn better? It's this conversation. And for so long in our like authoritarian culture, it's been, okay, the educators are telling the parents, this is what's happening, sign here, and we're right. done. That, that's not the type of conversations we need to be having anymore. They never were, but you know. Right, right. I hope so, that answers your question. Oh, absolutely. And and I actually have a two-part question for you right now. If parents are going in, they're advocating for their child and they're still not receiving the attention that they deserve, do you encourage parents to look at other schools? I guess my my question is the parent needs to prepare themselves. And they're going to have just as much asked of them as the teachers and they need to know what to do in these particular scenarios. So what, what do you suggest for parents? If they're not getting the results that they need, every school district has a special education director. If you don't feel that your child's service time is being met, that they're not making progress on their goals, then I would talk to the special education director for that school district. And parents have rights and responsibilities. There's, you know, the parental rights handbook. That's a federal handbook. There are rights that parents have. And one of those rights is that their child gets that free appropriate public education with all the modifications, accommodations, and services that they need to be successful in accessing general education curriculum. That's the verbiage. Start there and just say, you know, again, if you're kind and you don't go in attacking with guns blazing, you're probably going to get further than, than if you do the opposite. It's important, you know, to ask the questions. Why is this not happening? And if you feel like you've exhausted that then there's something called due process. And it's a long hearing, but it's sometimes important. But hopefully, 
no one needs to get that far to get the change that they need to happen. But there have been many parents who've of sp- children with special needs who've sued school districts and, and won. Don't take that off the table there either, because there, there are cases where it's warranted. Then if that doesn't work and you still feel frustrated, then yes, looking at different ways to educate your child is not a bad idea. Hardest job I ever had in my life was homeschooling my three children when we lived in a state where education was very, very poor. We'll put it that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I I can imagine that was a lot. You're obviously skilled and ready to take on that endeavor, but you know, you said so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As a former teacher, I 100% get it. You said so much in this last round of questions that really resonated the, the need for it to be a team effort. If parents have an issue to come in kind of in that collaborative vein and not with guns blazing because teachers are overextended and they are doing so much already. But at the same time, a parent does need to advocate and to teach their child to advocate for themselves. So I, I mm-hmm. think you touched on so much. I very much agreed with the librarian, the custodian, and the secretary too. That, that, <laughs> that hit home for sure. <laughs> I loved our conversation today with Dr. Kaylee. She is such a wealth of knowledge and has so much experience in education. Here are our top three takeaways from today's episode. One, the Montessori method can be so powerful. Whether your child is in a Montessori school or not, I believe we can all learn something from this educational approach and incorporate some of the methodologies in our own homes. After all, why wouldn't we want to foster more independence and autonomy in our children? I love the idea of the peace corner, the talking stick, maybe to use at family meetings or when there are disagreements in the home. I love the idea of spending those early years focusing more attention on basic life skills like tying shoes, hanging up a coat, cutting their own sandwich. Perhaps most importantly, letting children make some decisions in the day and giving them that freedom and autonomy within reason to decide what they will do with their free time. Number two, I love that Dr. Kaylee made the point that while the Montessori method is wonderful and holds a lot of appeal for many reasons, it may not work for every child. I think it's important to evaluate every methodology, tactic, strategy that we come across through the lens of our own child. Each child is unique, and it's important to remember that just because something is touted as the best or widely successful or it's really popular in parenting books right now doesn't always mean it will work with your child's personality or your family structure. Three, Dr. Kaylee brought up again and again the importance of approaching your child's education from a team mentality. This was specific to a conversation about neurodivergent learners, but it applies across the board. As a former teacher, I was always able to see very quickly which of my students had involved parents. When a student was struggling, we consistently found greater success at helping that child when the parent was willing to reach out to the teacher, actually listen to what the teacher had to say, and then work together to create a program to help that child succeed and to offer help and support at home while reinforcing what the teacher was doing in the classroom. 
that team mentality is so important. High five, friend. We've enjoyed hanging out with you. Follow us so you're the first to know when we drop a new episode. If you've enjoyed your time with us, let us know by leaving a review. We always love hearing from you. Until next time, stay true to you.